Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashvin. And today we are discussing Saw from 2004, directed by James Wan, written by Lee Wanell and James Wan, starring Carrie Elways, Lee Wanell, Danny Glover, and Tobin Bell. In this film, two men wake up trapped in a room and have to follow a series of clues in an attempt to save their own lives. If you're new to the show, we're going to talk some spoiler-free background info on the movie for the first 15-20 minutes, and then we're going to play a little musical interlude that means we're headed into spoiler territory when we walk through the plot and review the film. So if you haven't seen this yet, you can go watch it on Tubi, uh, but you're free to hang for the first 15 or 20 minutes. We won't spoil anything. Um, And before we get into the show, I just wanted to announce that I put out a Patreon episode that's just a solo Brian episode of me going through the Hellraiser franchise, uh, spoiler free, and I did, I'm doing it in chunks, so I posted the first half of the franchise, uh, part one, and I'll I'll post another part soon. So for Patreon subscribers, that is out there, and uh, yeah. And Brian, it's not just the franchise, right? Like you also read the book? I, I, yeah, I read the, the novella that, the that novella. Hellraiser was based on, The Hellbound Heart, so I review that too. That's awesome. Nice. All very briefly, but but I'm running through it. Um, this was a request. By, this is a huge movie we haven't covered yet. I'm surprised we haven't covered it yet, but I think a few people requested this. Um, one of them was definitely Sea Dog, so we're getting to it now. Uh, when was the last time you saw this, Ashwin? Oh man, it must have been like 2005 or six or something. I, I feel like I haven't seen this in like decades. How about you? Wow, I want to say I've seen it more recently than that, but still, it was probably like ten years ago. Okay, yeah. Uh, do you remember like going to see this one in theaters or anything? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw this in the theater. Yeah, this came out at like at a really big time for horror. It was kind of like the whole like early 2000s American horror revival, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we were learning that horror was big at the box office, or could be, after in the wake of Scream in 1996. Yeah. So, so yeah, and I also think this took horror, as well as some other movies too, but from my memory, I don't know, and I'm, I'm probably wrong, we always have someone prove us wrong later, but it seems like the movies that were doing really big at the box office weren't quite as gritty and violent as this movie, at least when it comes to horror. Yeah, uh, I, I think so. Cause like the year before this, you had the house of a thousand corpses, which kind of goes, uh, well, it goes a little bit further. Or it's, it's similar torture porny, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I just don't think of that as like a huge box off hit. Box yeah. Office yeah. Hit, you're right. Even though it probably did well. But then again, hostile was, what was that? 2001. Oh yeah, or two thousand three, so. maybe it was somewhere around here, and it it did really okay. well. Okay, yeah, but yeah, n- none of them did nearly as well as this one did, right? Yeah, I mean, this was a huge box office hit. It had a budget of only one point two million, and its worldwide box office was one hundred three point nine. That's insane. <laughs> it did like a hundred times its budget. Yeah, that's well. Um, yeah. I think it's like uh, in the top three or four most profitable horror films, uh, like after Paranormal Activity and Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Yeah, that is not surprising. Um, yeah, I think at the time of its relief, release, it, it was the most profitable horror film. Got um, it, yeah. 
And and this isn't even the most profitable of the franchise. Like this is, I think the third least profitable of the nine film franchise. And in total, the franchise made like a billion dollars at the box office. Yeah, people really bought into this concept. Yeah, yeah, people were into it, and people would just show up to the theater to see these. It kind of became an event. Like I know a lot of people who are like, "Oh, I'm not wild about them, but it's a tradition. We always go." Yeah. So it it, it drew people. They became. And I don't know. I think I've only seen two and maybe three um, uh-huh. as far as the sequels go. I did see Spiral from last year. but So I can't really speak to the whole franchise. But my understanding is they get a bit more schlocky and a bit more focused on the traps and the kills, uh, mm-hmm. whereas the first one's more focused on plot. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a real mystery thriller. Um yeah, and uh, yeah, I think I've only seen like the second one. You didn't see Jigsaw either. No, I didn't. Okay, and uh, shoot, I forgot to check one's involvement. I know he directed this one. Uh, which other ones of in the series did he direct? He didn't direct any other ones, but oh, I'm pretty sure he was a producer on the bulk of them. Maybe all sure. of them. Okay, yeah. I mean, is is it like his uh, production company? Uh, I don't know. I, I believe after a while it probably became his, his production company, but I didn't research okay. that. Yeah, yeah. I should check into that too. But I don't think they, they didn't have a production company when this, his atom, it's Atomic Monster, right? His. Oh yeah, you're right. Yep. That didn't exist when Saw was released. This was right. a very like, this was their big break essentially. It was his like second feature film. He had one called Stygian from 2000. Um mm-hmm. But this was kind of like their his and Lee Wanell's debut, like screenwriting. So, yeah, this was all new to them. They were trying to get it made in Australia. They couldn't do it. They flew to L.A. and finally made it happen. They made a short film called Saw in 2003, which was basically made with the sole purpose of sending it to prospective producers as a way to pitch the script for the full movie Saw. But yeah, yep. then Juan would go on to be a huge success. He did the first two Conjuring movies, the first two Insidious movies, the Love It or Hate It Malignant from 2021, Aquaman, Furious 7, and yeah, he's got a production company. He produces like all the remaining Conjuring franchise movies, the bulk of the Saw movies. Uh, he's yeah. producing the upcoming Salem's Lot. Oh, cool. That'll be fun. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. for that. He's, I, I think we talked about this maybe in Ligner or something, but yeah, he's definitely like one of the biggest horror film uh, directors out there right now, like budget wise, right? He's like making, pumping out these blockbusters. Yeah, for sure. I mean, his, he's up there in like post 2000s big names in horror, you know? Yeah. Lately, people talk about Eggers and Ari Aster and Jordan Peele, but someone like James Wan has more movies to his name. Like, more, I mean, he's probably worth so much money. Like, yeah. Uh, love or hate his movies, or if you think they're just meh, maybe maybe they're not as critically acclaimed as some of those guys we just mentioned, but they're right. big, culturally impactful movies that a lot of people go to see. They're crossover hits. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's, he's done a, an amazing job, quite a career. All yeah. and all, all like kind of starting from this film, which is wild. And then and then on the other hand of this, you have uh, Lee Wan L, which is like another kind of crazy story about like he he wrote uh, or he directed uh, the Invisible Man. A few years ago, which obviously was a huge hit. Yeah. So, yeah, and he directed Upgrade, Insidious 3. Yep. Apparently, he's directing an upcoming Escape from New York remake. Oh, wow. I didn't know they were remaking that. 
I know I didn't know either. I didn't look into it at all. So I don't know. Maybe that's kind of in development hell, or maybe it's not coming for a while. I have I have no information on that. But uh, okay, other than a, a blip, a blip on the internet that I saw. Interesting, cool, and yeah. dead silence. That's also a big one, isn't it? And it's not big, but it has its fans. We should check that out sometime. Yeah, I don't know how that name sounds really familiar. Uh, I think Kyle might be a fan of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <That would explain laughs> or at least it, yeah. a defender of it. Okay, okay. But yeah, Upgrade was also such a cool movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, I mean, this this movie, I mean, it's it's thought of as torture porn, Um but I think a lot of people say, hey, you know, the, the torture porn thing is really from, like, the sequels. This this really mm-hmm. doesn't qualify as torture porn. Um, I guess I, th- I, think, I get it. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of had that impression uh, when I was going back to watch it. Like, oh, the, I hate, you know, yeah, the series is supposed to be all torture porny. But, yeah, when you watch this first one, it doesn't come across that way at all. But uh, I wonder if, like, the definition of torture porn at that time was still being defined and, um, like, the min- the minimal torture you see happening here, which really isn't that much, uh, was, like, considered torture porn at the time, but then, like, it just went way beyond this, like, in the following films and years. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, I mean, the term torture porn didn't even exist until the next year, 2005, which is when Hostel came oh. out. You can put your pens down, everybody, for correcting us. Hostel <laughs> came out in 2005. They're fiercely, uh, like, writing you an email. Right <laughs> yeah, somebody... <laughs> Somebody just deleted their email. Um, But yeah, so I think Darren Lynn Bozeman is a director who gets associated with the torture porn genre. He directed Mm -hmm. Saw 2, Saw 3, and Saw 4. Okay. So yeah, I I think the sequels um, are more deserving of that moniker. Yeah. I I think I'm going to check those out. This uh, Zach on our Discord server, I think, is planning to do Saugust and watch all the films in August. I think it might do. Saugust? That's awesome. Yeah, that'd, yeah. that'd be fun, like, fun excuse to check out the whole series. Yeah, yeah, I got to get that under my belt. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, and even, like, watching this, I, I thought, like, in my mind for some reason, I thought it would be, like, way gorier than uh, it actually was. So, like, would you completely say, like, this isn't torture porn then? Right, I mean, it's 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 not really a clean split, you know? It's not like, no way this is torture porn, but... yeah. It's not super violent. It doesn't show a whole lot, but at the same time, there are some some graphic scenes. Um, some of the most graphic things are kind of just implied and not shown right, in much right. detail. Uh, yeah. I think more was shown initially. They had to be cut a little bit for the MPAA to give it an R instead of an NC-17. Oh, sure. But it's yeah. kind of the atmosphere of the movie in general that, to me, makes it so that I wouldn't really push back on someone calling it torture porn. It's just like scuzzy yeah. and dirty and gritty and gross. Yeah. I, th- I think the torture part is like being in a really gross bathroom. Two dudes like being stuck in there, one like putting his hand in a toilet with shit in it. That sounds like yeah. torture. Right. I mean, torture can be things that are not direct violence to a body that involve blood and guts. So Sure. I, mean, yeah, I know yeah. I'm, I'm kind of stretching that definition, but I don't think it's a, a strong <laughs> no, like a refuse to put this in the torture porn bucket. 
I feel like you're the U.S. government trying to like justify some of the things. So it's not right, technically exactly. torture. Yeah, it's not hostile. Would not define what we're doing as torture. Yeah, so exactly. we're good. We're okay. Yeah. Um, uh, and like, do you think this movie tapped in on what was happening across the sea? Because I feel like New French Extremity was running pretty hot in the early 2000s, and, and that was like obviously a lot of gore and torture. Yeah, I wonder if um, Juan and Juanel had seen any of those. I, I know they were influenced a bit by Seven. Um, oh, the movie Seven? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that post-1995, Seven really kind of like set an archetype that uh, other movies would follow, like gritty police procedural, like mystery, gritty, violent like the gritty and violent thriller. <laughs> I think there's a Netflix category that's literally called gritty and violent thriller. And I think seven is like the prototypical gritty and violent thriller. And it, it set the stage for many, many imitators to come and do this. Sure. Thing. Yeah. And um, I know that's like been a topic of debate on our discord is like, if films like that, uh, qualify as horror or not, uh, where if they're like police stories or whatever, um, which it seems like a gray area sometimes. Yeah, and I I think it could be fun to do an episode on Seven uh, and just because I, I enjoyed in Silence of the Lambs discussing mm-hmm. whether or not it actually qualified as horror. I think that could be a fun way to approach Seven. Yeah, yeah, I'd be into that. Um, some notable actors. It's got uh well Lee Wanell is in the movie himself, and I'm sure in our review we'll talk about his acting skills. Kerry <laughs> uh, Elwes is maybe the most recognizable face for his roles in The Princess Bride and Robin Hood Men in Tights. Were you, when you first saw this, did you like uh, recognize him right away? I think it took me a while when I, when I saw it in the theater and then I finally put it together. Yeah, I feel like I hadn't seen him for like uh, since Princess Bride and definitely didn't recognize him in this one the first time I saw right, it. I mean, he, he'd aged a bit and, and it's, it's so interesting what movie makeup and lighting can do as well because yeah. in Men in Tights and in Princess Pride, he's you know young and vibrant and handsome and everything about his makeup and the way he's shot is meant to right. convey that. But then in this movie, he's like covered in blood and gr- grime and, and yep. he's all disheveled in a like dilapidated bathroom. So, of course, he's, he's not going to be yeah, easy to identify. Right. Yep. Yeah, uh, good, good to see him back on screen. Yeah. Yeah. Critically, I think this movie is a bit more well-regarded among horror fans than it is mainstream critics. It's got a Rotten Tomatoes score of 51% from critics, 84% from users, uh, but Bloody Disgusting listed it as number 10 in their top 20 horror films of the decade, the 2000s. And I just, its influence cannot be denied. Yeah, yeah, I know. Especially talking about those box office numbers. Yeah, the box office numbers, the two guys behind it, and like their career now... Um, yeah. And, and yeah, the star power in, in this is, is pretty big. Like, uh, you also have like Danny Glover in there and, uh, Monica Potter. Is that who it was? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's so like a, kind of a, a decent sized cast for like that time. I didn't look at Monica Potter's filmography, but now that I picture her face again, was she also in Con Air? Oh yeah, she was. Yeah. That's okay. Gotta, yeah. That was her. <laughs> All right. Right. <laughs> yeah, she had like a good stint for like I feel like uh, five or ten years late sure, 90s, sure. at least. Sure, God, Conair is so good. Yeah, I know, classic. <laughs> yeah, I think I rewatched that like a year ago. It's, it holds up, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, I, it does hold up. It's just, it's kind of like Face Off. It's like 
kind of silly, yeah. but you're also like, eh, this is also just legit awesome. Yeah, yeah. Man, John Buscemi in that, or is that his name? Oh, Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Buscemi. Yeah, he's so creepy. Love him. So creepy. Um, and, and, and like, uh, th- this was pretty innovative for its time, right? Like, the, the whole approach, the, the low budgetness, and then, like, the whole, like, kind of mystery kind of, and, and, like, the frame story approach. I don't think right. it, there was anything quite like this, right? Yeah, lots of twists and turns. It's a non-linear narrative. I, I do think it kind of, uh, it was fairly original. Yeah, I gotta think you know, so. No, not to say no other movie had done this, but for, like, a really big box office horror smash yeah kind of an original formula yeah yeah i agree um also on the topic of its box office success i wanted to note that um when it was released on dvd and vhs it was the the most rented dvd slash vhs in america for the first two weeks after its release oh oh my god and you don't often get like any statistics on dvd and vhs sales for movies but yeah. There were some on this one, and they said the sales topped $70 million. Okay, wow. Just in, in the first two weeks? No, it's probably total. I mean, that was oh, probably okay. taken decades ago, so I'm sure it's way more. Yeah, um, okay. Now, but yeah. That makes sense. I feel like in, in college you'd see this DVD everywhere, like people's mm-hmm. houses, and like as a standard in the collections. It becomes one of those movies that people just kind of watch to prove something almost, and just the title, <laughs> you know, Saw. Yeah. Like, it's so simple, but it's just so ominous, and you're like, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta watch that movie." And like, yeah. dudes trying to prove their own testosterone, like, yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's just one of those things. You like, it's kind of like a rite of passage. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh man, my my favorite reference to this film is uh, you ever watch The Office, and when Ryan asks uh, uh, Dwight, "Did you see Saw? Did you do you remember that question?" No, I don't remember that. Oh, they're like plotting something against Jim and Ryan's like, uh, did you see Saw? And Dwight's like, yeah, I see Saw every day with my cousin Moe's or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had a feeling that's where that was going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was really clever. But uh, yeah, 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 this this one was like a big cultural thing in a, in a statement for, uh, sure. for a while. Um, I feel always obligated when we have a big franchise starter to, to run through the whole franchise titles and when they were released, so... Uh, this movie Saw came out in 2004, Saw 2 came out in 2005, Saw 3 in 2006, Saw 4 in 2007, Saw 5 in 2008, boy, right after another here, um, they haven't skipped a year yet, Saw 6 in 2009, Saw 3D in 2010, so man, the first seven are all back to back. That's crazy. Uh, and then there's a seven year gap in 2017, Jigsaw is released, and then a four-year gap in 2021 Spiral is released starring Chris Rock. Starring Chris Rock? Starring Chris Rock. Nice. Yeah. And you saw that one? I did. I did. It, it wasn't great, but it, it wasn't bad. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. What a string uh, of movies. Um, that's like, a, it seems like Friday the 13th level, like that type of volume. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I saw some stats. I didn't repeat them here because they were kind of qualified to just North America and Canada box office. But this is among the like top five most grossing franchises in horror history. And Friday the 13th is up there. I think Friday the 13th is above it a little bit. But um, that was just in the US and Canada. And, And Saw seemed to do really well overseas. So so worldwide, I don't know where where it stands among the other franchises, but it's definitely got to be in the top five. Yeah, yeah, wow, that's incredible. So yeah. many films. 
uh, what, a, what a legacy. Do you think you think they're done, or what's the word? Is there another one coming out? Oh, you know, I didn't I didn't look on the latest news. I have a feeling it's not done. Yeah, <laughs> I know. A franchise like this is just always gonna, yeah, keep going. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Any other background you want to get in? Uh, no, I think you and everything I had. All right. Uh, one other little notable thing I wanted to mention before we hit the Ohio connection is the music was done by Charlie Klauser. Uh, he's worked with many artists, including Nine Inch Nails and Rob Zombie, but I wanted to get this out there because it's pretty notable to horror fans. He also did the theme music to American Horror Story. Oh, cool. Which I think that intro song is pretty iconic, right? For American Horror Story? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's really creepy. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, as usual, our Ohio connection is done by our friend Alex, who connects every movie to our home state of Ohio for us. Alex owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Northeast, or in Cleveland, Ohio. So if you live in Northeast Ohio, be sure to go check out Jukebox. Great food, great drinks. And Alex says, Saw is a psychological horror film directed by James Wan in his feature directorial debut. Uh, Put a pin in that. It is the mm-hmm. first installment in the Saw film series and stars Carrie Elways, Monica Potter, Tobin Bell, and Danny Glover. Glover is a beloved film actor known best for his role as Marger, Roger Murtaugh in the Lethal Weapon film series. He also starred in The Color Purple, Predator 2, Angels in the Outfield, and The Royal Tenenbaums. In addition to his film work, Glover has also been an avid civil rights and union activist. In March 2010, Glover supported 375 union workers by calling upon all actors at the 2010 Academy Awards to boycott Hugo Boss suits following the announcement of Hugo Boss's decision to close a manufacturing plant after a proposed pay decrease from $13 to $8.30 an hour was rejected by the Workers' United Union. The Hugo Boss plant, now closed, was located in Brooklyn, Ohio. Whoa. What a nice little tie. Yeah. So, uh, Hugo Boss used to make suits in Brooklyn, Ohio? Apparently. Damn, no idea. Yep. Wow. Uh, And you know everything there is to know about Hugo Boss. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I didn't realize they had that, uh, they they pulled the wages down like that. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, wild. Sliced them in half. Yeah. Um, But what I put a pin in is Alex called Saw Juan's feature directorial debut, and earlier I said his feature debut was a movie called Stygian from 2000. And the Screen Actors Guild defines a feature film as a minimum of 80 minutes, but the Academy defines a feature film as a minimum of 40 minutes. So (laughs) Stygian was 72 minutes, so the Academy would consider uh, Juan's feature debut to be Stygian, and SAG would consider his debut to be Saw. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that is really weird that the <laughs> rules would be different. I guess we like, know what side of the fence uh, uh, Alex is on then. Exactly, right? More of a sad guy. Uh, he's a, he's always been a sad guy. <laughs> yeah, um, following their guidelines. <laughs> so yeah, just a little tidbit there. Right, uh, yeah. Anyway, man, you ready to spoil this movie? Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, do you mind holding on a second though? My this is embarrassing, but my shoelace is somehow gotten tangled around my podcast stand and I just want to see if I can free it up before we keep going. Oh, sure. Yeah, take your time. All right, cool. I'll be right back. All right.
right, man, I'm back. Hey, you get those laces untied? Well, it was uh, pretty tangled up, and I didn't want to keep you waiting, so I thought the fastest way to take care of that would just be to, to cut the whole foot off. <laughs> nice. That's efficient. <laughs> hey, yeah, so maybe we can run through this rest, uh, the rest of this episode really quick. Yeah, sure. You, in the interest gotta... of blood retention. Yeah, it's always good to have a good like pocket knife or, or a saw with you, right? Right, a pocket kinda... knife and like an extra layer of shirts just to wrap around something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Got to leave an appendage behind. Right. Um, Okay, so this movie begins uh, with two characters waking up, chained to a wall, and locked in a decrepit bathroom. Our two main characters are Adam, played by Lee Wanell, and Dr. Larry Gordon, played by Carrie Elways. They're on opposite sides of the room with a dead body on the floor in between them that apparently died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. They're trying to piece together the reason they are locked in this room or how they might escape, and they find two mini cassettes and a cassette player that, when played, give them the following instructions. Adam is told that his job is merely to survive until 6 a.m., and Dr. Gordon is told that he's got to kill Adam by 6 a.m. or his wife and child will be murdered and he'll be left in this room to rot. They also get some clues on the audio recording, like X marks the spot, follow your heart, and it lets them know that the man in the middle of the room had so much poison in his blood that there was nothing left for him to do but kill himself. These clues lead them to two hacksaws found in the toilet, but they quickly realize that the hacksaws aren't meant for their chains, but possibly for their feet, should they decide that amputation is their best course of action. Uh, Dr. Gordon recognizes that the situation they are in resembles the crimes of a murderer known as the Jigsaw Killer, a killer that he's especially aware of because he was a suspect in one of Jigsaw's murders. And from here, the story begins its use of flashbacks and cross-cutting to parallel narratives. And that transition is made with the very obvious line from Dr. Gordon, I'll start from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, first off, isn't the setup so awesome? Like, uh, just like, yeah, the two people in a room trying to figure out a dead body in there and trying to figure out how to get out of there and like these clues that they're getting. It really is a cool setup. It's a, a great beginning to a movie. It kind of reminds me of the beginning of Cube. Do you remember that movie? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. That's when was, that was before this, right? That was late nineties. Yeah, I want to say that was nineteen ninety seven. Uh, yeah, totally. But yeah, the, you also like feel like the grittiness here, which which is really cool. The the hand in the in the toilet and the shit, uh, pretty gross stuff happening. Um, what do, what do you think of like their characters and their acting? I think that I mean the situation is cool and the dynamics between the characters are cool the acting is pretty awkward do you agree <laughs> yeah. yeah especially I feel like Lee Wanell is like coming off like way too brash and uh just like kind of over uh angry about everything or something yeah um and I don't know like Carrie Ellis too like I couldn't tell if it was a script or something but um he, he did seem like a little stiff but you're right like the the dynamic is pretty cool though like that you have these two opposite characters but they might have gone like too far into the like that that one note but what sure. did you think i agree i agree and and juan has um not a quote but I, something he said that kind of addresses both the grittiness you mentioned and, and the acting uh he said due to the lack of time and money to shoot the film it turned out much more gritty and rough around the edges than he intended and he said always in one l didn't have time to rehearse and they ran through a lot of dialogue every day and didn't get many opportunities for multiple takes. So it was kind of like they were, they were ill prepared. They had a lot to cover in a day and they, they couldn't do a lot of takes and choose the best one. So 
you kind of got what you got, and I think some of that slapdash approach made the movie feel even more gritty than than it was intended to be. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. It's cool. I think in Juan's mind he had like a very polished Hitchcockian type thing uh, pictured, but th- that's that's not the way it turned out, which kind of may have been for the the best. You know, the movie kind of leaning leaning into its aesthetic. Yeah, feeling a little bit like underproduced sometimes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and it looks a little weird too. Like some of the wide angle shots just look like really strange, like almost like fisheye lens kind of. And sure. the the picture was all, wasn't always in focus. It seemed it, it just, it, yeah, it looked worse than I remembered it looking. Yeah. <laughs> Same. I, I was, I found myself thinking like, oh, is this how movies in early 2000s were all shot or something? But, uh, I, I know like they didn't use, uh, like a steady, uh, what's that thing you put a camera on? Steady cam, yeah. They just had like a a guy like hoisting a camera on their shoulder for a lot of this, and I think it's, some of it's on purposeful, but I think some of it's probably also because of the budget constraint. Yeah, I, yeah, agreed. Um, so yeah, um, Doctor Gordon says I'll start from the beginning, uh, which is just a, an example of some of the uh, awkward and obvious dialogue in this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, A flashback reveals a police case involving a woman who was trapped in a room with a mechanism affixed to her face that worked like a reverse bear trap. It would crack open her jaw so hard that it would cause her head to explode, essentially, and she had a certain amount of time to cut the key out of her dead cellmate's belly and remove the mechanism from her head. So just as she winds up with a knife to puncture this guy's belly, she finds out he's alive, but she brings the knife down anyway. As she frees herself... And then here's the killer's voice saying that most people are so ungrateful to be alive, but not you, not anymore. And we learn <laughs> this this woman's a heroin addict, and she says like he helped me to the police officers that yeah that this this, this part's stunt... kind of crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's wild. It, it's wild. The scenario is wild, and just you start to get a little bit of Jigsaw's motivation revealed as well. Yeah. Uh, the script here too, like, I mean, I know you called out, uh, the, how, well, Carrie Ellis, or like how he like frame, like kicked off this frame story here too. When they're like interrogating her, uh, I think Danny Glover's like, and you are in fact a drug addict, aren't you? And then, and then he even asks like, are you grateful? Which like, why are you asking that in a police interrogation? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're really like making you, uh, like they're bashing your head over like this theme of like what, uh, this guy wants you to, or like, yeah, what his motives are. Yes, right. They 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 were not graceful with with the dialogue and what they were trying to get the dialogue to point to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I like to think they each learned a lot in their their script writing because something like <laughs> From, the Invisible Man is much more polished. It is, but did you feel like a lot of malignant in this while you're watching it? Boy, shoot, you're that, right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there was like a lot of this cheesy dialogue, but it felt like more purposeful and malignant. Like, oh, it's kind of like trolling that type of movie. But then, like, I, I felt like there were a lot of like similar type of like uh, dialogue uh, written written in this film. Sure, right? Maybe one else just gotten better at writing. Yeah, I know. Now we know <laughs> who wrote the <laughs> script here. Yeah. So in this flashback, we also learned that a pen light from Doctor Gordon's office was found at the scene, making him the primary suspect in this bear trap case. Uh, Dr. Gordon is busy telling some students about a patient with terminal cancer. 
He is first interrupted by an orderly who tells him the patient's actually a very interesting person, and he's then interrupted by the police who take him down to the station and confront him as a primary suspect. There he's forced to reveal his alibi that he was meeting a woman who was not his wife. And this oh, gets can I ask you a question here? No, I'm ke- I'm gonna keep talking. No, yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> what what is an orderly? Do those are is that like an official title? It seems a little dated, right? I I think it's maybe just someone who's like changing the sheets and making sure everything's like organized and and ready to go in a hospital. Oh, okay, got it. Okay, okay. They yeah. I I just feel like it's kind of an offensive term. Like I'd be really weird like going to the hospital right now asking to see the orderly. But is that still like a? Do you think they they still use that term? I have no idea, man. If you're an orderly, let us know. I'm sure there's yeah, plenty yeah. of people who who work in hospitals who listen. So right, yeah. I'd be interested. We could just Google right. it right now, but we'll ask you to let us know instead. Yeah, let's get the medical community weighing. Yeah, uh, we've always been saying, how do we get the medical community more involved in our show? <laughs> yeah. That's the segment we're missing. <laughs> we're trying to target them. <laughs> <laughs> dated medical terms. Yeah, um, exactly. So yeah, he he's forced to reveal his alibi that he was meeting a woman who was not his wife, and this gets him off the hook. But Detective Tap, played by Danny Glover, is still very suspicious of him. And Tap is later reviewing a videotaped message that was found at the scene of the woman bear trap scenario, and he realizes in the video there are graffiti tags on the walls of Jigsaw's hideout that reveal it to be the territory of a gang with a very small territory. So Tap and his partner end up finding Jigsaw's hideout where they try to free a man in a contraption that will drill through his brain. They also try to apprehend Jigsaw. But Jigsaw escapes and rigs a trap that causes Tap's partner to be shot in the head with a shotgun, killing him. Uh, This traumatizes Tap, who also gets his throat slit to the point of near death in the struggle, and he has to leave the police force. Tap then becomes a vigilante civilian who stakes out Dr. Gordon's apartment looking for some kind of clue as he still believes Gordon to be the killer. Ash, what did you think of this whole sequence? Man, was this like an episode of like the world's worst detectives or something? Like wasn't this like <laughs> the shoddiest police work you've seen? There were a lot of really bad choices. Yeah, yeah, like you're going in there without any backup, like uh, no uh, walkie-talkies or anything, even like the way like they're trying to guard themselves. Uh, yeah, it's just like he, he got away really easily. Um yeah, uh, kind of, kind of disappointing. And then the way like uh, Danny Glover is like kind of uh, holding this against the doctor, like there's a dentist down the street and the sewer runs here or whatever. Uh, such, such like cheesy lines, but uh, I don't know. I thought it was hilarious. What, what did you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny too because he's like the sewers run through this neighborhood too, meaning like you know your neighborhood isn't so fancy. Yeah. But then. In his stakeout, he's across the street from Dr. Gordon's apartment <laughs> in a yeah, exactly. total sleaze hole. Like, yeah. It's like, if this is a fancy neighborhood, why does this disgusting apartment exist across the street? Yeah. There are a lot um, of like disgusting spaces in this film, like that apartment, the apartment that uh, Adam lives in. Uh, yeah. All like pretty right? run down. Yeah. It's, it's just like crimes of the future up in here. Yeah. Um, also, <laughs> on the, the poorly written dialogue front, before they go into this hideout, Danny Glover says, at least we'll have the cover of darkness. <laughs> nice. Like, some of it's just like a 10-year-old writing the script. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it felt like at certain times. 
Uh, yeah. I do think the story is cool and told well, but the, the dialogue is just is the weak point. I agree. I agree. Yeah, all the device points, uh, plots, and like the way it's moving is like really cool and well done. But yeah, you can tell there's like really elementary uh, dialogue script writing yeah. going on here. Yeah, e- even um, like part- uh, oh, Doctor Gordon. Like I feel like he's like overplaying this like Southern gentleman where he's like, uh, I, I obviously uh, I'm afraid I, that's not possible. Like when they ask him like come down to the. Um, the, the the uh oh the station and stuff so yeah it just seems like uh, very generic writing yeah yeah so as part of the flashbacks we also see a sequence that takes place in dr gordon's home shortly before he was apprehended by jigsaw and locked in this room we see dr gordon's daughter as she's going to bed she's screaming and telling her parents there's a man in her room dr gordon comes in and reassures her um without checking the closet <laughs> uh that there's nobody in the room then he leaves for work, and the man in his daughter's room apprehends Gordon's wife and daughter and ties them up and holds them at gunpoint. Back in the scuzzy bathroom that Dr. Gordon and Adam are locked in, Adam finds a clue that makes him realize they have to turn off the lights to find the X referred to when the X marks the spot clue. They do this and find a hidden spot in the wall that's housing a cell phone and a clue for Dr. Gordon that says, "'Smoking is only poisonous when it ends in bloodshed.'" Think about this. You don't need a gun to kill Adam. And Ash, kind of like the police interrogation where he asks, and are you, do you feel better oh, or yeah. whatever? Yeah. Like, did it help you? Why would a, a killer leaving complex clues and riddles write, think about this in one of his riddles? <laughs> it's like, you can do it. Did you think about it? Yeah, I, <laughs> I believe in you. Take your time. <laughs> yeah, I believe in you. <laughs> Love Jigsaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that was that was unnecessary. <laughs> but uh, anyway, this clue is is hinting at the fact that Gordon could dip the cigarette in the poison blood in the middle of the room and give it to Adam. Uh, Adam would assumingly, unknowingly smoke it and be poisoned. They you know, try to. to- Oh, oh, to be ahead. fair, though, would you have figured that out based on that clue? Like, I, I'm not saying to think about it would have helped me. I, I just I don't think I would have figured that out either way. I figured it out this time, but some part of me probably remembered. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Maybe if I was locked in a room without anything to distract me. Yeah. Like my, a phone My cell something. phone wouldn't be there. I could really think. Yeah, yeah, sure. Instead of checking Discord all the time. Yeah, or Instagram or something. I'm like, yeah. So they, they try to fake out Jigsaw. Uh, Dr. Gordon lets lets Adam in on this, and they pretend that Dr. Gordon gives him the poison cigarette, and Adam fakes his death in a ridiculously over-the-top <laughs> fake death sequence. Yeah. Um, but Jigsaw, who's watching them on a hidden camera, tests to see if Adam's really dead by electrocuting him through his ankle chain, and hence the trick fails. Uh, and the guys quickly realize the cell phone they've been given is only meant to receive calls. It eventually rings, and Dr. Gordon answers it to discover that it's his daughter and wife on the line. They beg for his help, and his wife tells him not to believe Adam's lies. And when Dr. Gordon pressures Adam about this, it's revealed that uh, Adam was hired to take photos of Gordon sneaking around on his wife. So we get a flashback of these events that reveal that Dr. Gordon did meet a woman at a cheap motel, but couldn't go through with cheating on his wife. Um and remained loyal to her, if you can still call it that at that point. And Gordon realized that it's his attempted affair that's causing him to be tested by Jigsaw. 
Oh, hold up. Wait, uh, I, I, I think they already had been having an affair for a while, right? I think that it never, he never went through with it. it I uh, think they had had like an emotional affair and flirtation. Yeah. And then he was like, all right, meet me at this motel. And then when he got there, he's like, I can't. I can't do it. Oh, yeah. interesting. Wait, what makes you think that was like the first time they were meeting? Because early in the movie, they make it really obvious there's something between them, right? When like the police come to get him and like there's like a look between the, those two. Well, I mean, a, a look exchange may not reveal that they've already been intimate, but just simply that they're close and, and flirtatious. And huh. he he does tell Adam that he, he never cheated on his wife, and he's been honest with Adam. Um, okay. So I, I believe him. Okay, okay. Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, his character so far is one of honesty, I guess. Uh, interesting. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Let's see. what. Oh, Adam finds some photos that show the orderly from from Dr. Gordon's hospital at the scene of one of the crimes, and that reveals to Gordon that the orderly at the hospital that interrupted him when he was speaking to those students earlier in the film is the real killer. Um, Mm -hmm. Soon Adam and Gordon look at the clock to realize it's 6 a.m., and since Gordon still hasn't killed Adam, that means Jigsaw will kill his wife and daughter. So we're now cross-cutting between Gordon's home, where Jigsaw attempts to, to do that, and the dingy bathroom where Gordon is listening to the struggle on the phone. So Dr. Gordon's wife manages to briefly get the upper hand on Jigsaw, and in the struggle, a gun is fired multiple times. And this gets the attention of Detective Tap, who's still staking out Gordon's home across the street. <laughs> and he comes into the apartment to help and ends up being murdered in the process. So Dr. Gordon's listening to all this happen on the phone, and he's getting frantic because he's hearing all these gunshots and screaming. And it drives him to cut his own foot off as Adam looks on, screaming in horror. And and Gordon then crawls to the corpse's gun in the middle of the room and shoots Adam. Just then, the orderly comes in to kill Gordon, but Adam, who's still alive, bludgeons him to death with the lid of the toilet tank. And Gordon tells Adam he's going to escape and call for help. Now, did you... He also says, like, you just have a shoulder wound, you're going to be okay. Did you read that as, like... Dr. Gordon purposely just wounded him? I think so, yeah. Or like, uh, could he aim that well yeah, ever yeah, in his yeah. life? And then, <laughs> A, ever in his life, and then B, right after he cut off his own foot and like sure. crawled to the middle of the room with God knows yeah. how long without food or water. And uh, this being like, like if that, if that was the goal, like was the uh, was Adam in on it and knew like I'm going to get this shot that's going to bring me down and I just got to like pretend like I'm dead? Uh, versus like screaming agony because I'm not like was he just knocked out or something? I mean, came... I think Adam couldn't have been in on that. My my theory is that Doctor Gordon just did it frantically and then maybe was just like, "Hey, you're you're alive. It's just your yeah. shoulder. You're gonna be okay." Like, but he did intend to kill him. <laughs> okay, yeah. but I don't I mean, know. The, yeah, I, I, the, I don't the know. The movie I... has enough unbelievable things in it that that I could see them having it be that Gordon did it. Sure. Um, Although I don't know what his intention would be to just wound him and like n- know that Adam would go down. I think he was trying to kill him. Uh, I don't know, man. He's not a killer, and uh, they had already tried once, like kind of fake the system. So yeah, but he was, surprised. you know, at the end of his rope, he had just cut off his own foot. I think that shows maybe he was, yeah, he was ready to take the the next step. No pun sure. intended. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. Yeah, Adam looks on in horror as Dr. Gordon does. It goes out of the room. Uh, he begs Dr. Gordon not to leave. 
Um, but Gordon reassures him he'll he'll get help and everything will be okay. But Dr. Gordon's looking pretty pale and weak at this point, so things aren't looking hopeful. Yeah, he's looking terrible. Yeah. Um, Adam searches the orderly's body for a key to his ankle chain, but instead finds another audio cassette tape, and when he plays the tape, it reveals that the orderly was just another pawn in Jigsaw's game. The orderly was following Jigsaw's instructions in the hopes that Jigsaw would give him the antidote for a slow-acting poison that Jigsaw had injected into his blood. And now, the big reveal. We see the corpse in the middle of the room stand up and remove the latex prosthetic, which was a fake gunshot wound on his head, and walk out of the room, leaving Adam screaming in the dark. Uh, So this corpse is the real killer, who is John Kramer, the terminally ill patient in the hospital that Gordon was discussing with the students at the hospital. And uh, the credits begin to roll while Adam screams into the darkness. And we can only presume that Gordon didn't get very far. Oh yeah, I was also I was surprised we don't see like what happens to Gordon, but yeah, you think he gets taken out because technically, I feel like he beat the game, right? Like he cut his leg off, he shot Adam. Maybe yeah, he didn't technically kill him, but doesn't he doesn't count? That doesn't count for him as a victory. I mean, he didn't. I don't think he shot. He didn't kill Adam. Um, yeah. So so that he he broke the rules. Also, victory or not. I don't think he's getting anywhere fast enough to to not bleed to death. Yeah. If Jigsaw actually let him survive, but probably he just walked out in the hallway and killed him. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Got it. But yeah, we kind of learn in the conclusion here that Jigsaw, you know, he has cancer. He doesn't have much life left to live, and he's basically just set out to make people appreciate <laughs> appreciate life. their own lives <laughs> by killing most of them, as it yeah. turns out. Isn't that, that's like a really cheesy and like really of the times, like kind of theme, I think. I, yeah. It just reminds me a lot of like Fight Club. I remember like uh, th- there was like that whole scene where he's like, oh, the next day is going to be the best day of their life or something. Uh, uh, yeah. What, what was going on back then? <laughs> I, I don't know. Hope, I don't think yeah. hopefulness was going on back then. Yeah. But I don't I know. Maybe right. it was. Yeah. Yeah. Really weird uh, approaches to that. Um, we did. I mean, it, it's a dark, miso- or misogynistic, nihilistic ending to a movie. But at least somewhere back there, um, we learned that Doctor Gordon's wife and daughter did survive. Yeah, thank God. I was worried about that. Yeah, yeah, they're okay. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Also, another questionable. Some of the mechanics of the plot. I love the mechanics of this plot. I think it's a great story. But so many things like. If you poke hard enough at them, you just find a lot of holes and like questionable motivations. Like if someone gave you a slow acting poison, would you really kill a woman and her young daughter in the hopes that they're actually going to give you an antidote to that poison if you do that? Like, <laughs> wouldn't you call the cops or a doctor to like see if they could cure it? Like, uh, or find the guy and like give him, get him to give you the antidote? You'd rather murder a woman and her daughter? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, like the health uh, industry in the nation, how hard it is to get like proper medical access. Uh, but he worked at a hospital too, so I, I don't know. So I, he knew uh, better than anybody how hard it was. This was all a commentary on the medical, the system, medical system in 2004 in America. I think so. <laughs> the failure of health insurance. To, I think we got it. 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, your main character here, his whole inspiration is because of uh, a terminal diagnosis and not catching it on time and having a treatment available, right? That's that's true. That kind of spread this whole film here. It's really, I mean, we, I, not to echo it again, but it is really hard to understand and make sense of his motivation. Like, if he really wants people to appreciate their lives, why wouldn't he just intend to really scare them and then oh, let yeah. them survive and appreciate their lives? Like, he's, he's killing almost all of them. Yeah. No, we're just leaving it entirely up to chance. Some of them are just so outrageous that they, it's amazing that they even make it. Honestly, right. the, well, the woman with the head contraption had the easiest task. She, she was the only one that made it, right? Yeah. But, I mean, how hard is it to go cut open someone's body and pull out a key? Oh, yeah. I know. She got she got an easy one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unpleasant, but not challenging. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. Compared Especially to, when like, you think they're already dead. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, compared to, like, the guy who has to, like, go through the razor blades or... Um, what, what was the other guy? Like, he had to, like, walk on glass, but he was, like, covered in, like, flammable stuff. Oh, uh, I think like some some code was written on the walls, and he yeah. could only see the code with a lighter because the room was dark. But he was covered in flammable, right? Uh, yeah, like what the what are you trying to do, Jigsaw? Like, what's the goal there? Like, yeah, yeah, you know exactly. This dude's gonna set himself on fire. It, I know it's, it's like kind of dumb if you think too much about it. If you think yeah. too much about it, it's really dumb. In fact, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, yeah, I guess this isn't uh, a thinking movie, right? This is more of a... Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because if, if you just sit back and enjoy the ride, it takes you on quite a ride and, and it's paced well, the reveals happen well, like yep. the jumping back and forth for for how poorly this movie executes some things, it's easy to follow the plot for the most part, like... Mm-hmm. They jump back and forth in timelines and in settings, but it's always clear what's happening, and I think they do a good job of keeping you engaged and giving you just the right amounts of new information to keep yeah. you on the edge of your seat. Yeah, yeah, right. It kind of like, yeah, the thriller and like the pacing of the information that's coming at you is like pretty well laid out. Yeah. So like you feel like you're learning something every bit. Some of the action sequences though, like the editing, I, I kind of question like uh, when uh, his wife is being attacked in the house, um, or like there's that gunfight going on there, uh, and it keeps like going back between that and like him in the room just kind of crying on the ground, uh, or like the long chase sequence between uh, the cop and uh, the orderly. Uh, did you feel like those kind of dragged on for too long? Hmm. I don't think they dragged on. I I think the editing in this movie, it was kind of like deliberately herky jerky in in some uh, moments, but I actually think it was pretty good. Like. They they took a lot of risks in in how they put together the story and how they approached some of the scares and action scenes. Um, but I think as far as like the editor's job, I, I think they did it well. Some of the choices I, I didn't love, like uh, there's like slow motion. They each have a flashback of how they were abducted at some point in the movie. And there's, like, this dude in a mask approaching Carrie Elway's in slow motion. It's just, like, real cheesy and and not effective at all. So, like, there are bad choices in in how they they put things together. Um, And, you know, the the slow motion and the sped up motion and stuff. But I don't think the editing is is messy. I think there are bad choices, but I, I don't think it's done... Uh, without skill, if that makes sense. 
Uh, sure. Like, yeah, no, uh, yeah, I, I hear what you mean. Like the, the cuts work. Um, yeah, right. I, I don't think there's yeah. any glaring errors in how the movie is cut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I feel like those, like, those are like two pretty, like, cause, cause this is a movie where like, uh, a lot of it is dialogue driven and then there are like a few scenes of like intense action. And I thought like the attack scene at the house with the gun battle and, uh, the cop chasing this guy, uh, those scenes kind of like went on for a little bit longer, which, you know, you take this like scene that's supposed to be an intense action scene and you drag it out or like you inter uh, splice it with like, uh, what that guy's doing on the floor, kind of crying, it like deflated it a little bit. Um, so that was, that was my only gripe, but also with the editing, did you feel like the sound, uh, were, were there any issues for you with the sound editing? Um, I didn't find any issues with the sound editing, except like there is really abrasive, like hard rock music playing in the score a lot. Uh, I wasn't the biggest fan fan of that i think it really dates the movie but i mean saw so it's just it's dated in, inherently yeah um, yeah it's just like a dated i don't know movie, i right? didn't notice anything with the the sound editing that was off did you find some errors there i, I don't know if it was on my end but i i thought like the dialogue felt like a lot quieter than like other sounds and music in the film which okay. kind of uh since a lot of the film is like dialogue then like those parts would be like pretty quiet and then, like, uh, like whenever you transition from, like, a kind of crazy scene or something, then it would suddenly just feel, like, really quiet uh, almost. But I don't know, that could have been a thing on my end, too. My TV has a dialogue setting, and I've been listening on headphones. And, man, I just I never miss dialogue anymore. It's wonderful. Oh, that's great. <laughs> you don't have uh, the subtitles on anymore, do you? I don't do subtitles anymore. I used to always have to do it. And now it's just it's so much better. I, I, love, I love the movie-watching experience at my house. You watching movies with headphones on? Yeah, I just my like AirPods, Bluetooth. It's it's great. I like it way better. I mean, Damn, some I people will probably that. think that's crazy, but I don't really want crazy. my whole house hearing saw blasting yeah. volume. So yeah, yeah, it sounds crazy, but I can't figure out why. Uh, yeah, that seems like a great idea. I'll, I'll try that next time. Then you get like a real surround sound experience, right? Like fully immersive. It, I think it's more immersive. Yeah, I know a lot of people think you should have you know like the ground, the house rattling and. And uh, a great like sound setup, but I don't want to spend a bunch of money on an audio setup, and, and yeah. it sounds better on my headphones than it would be just my TV speaker. So right, right. Yeah, I'll try that next time for the next film. That's yeah, give neat. it a go. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, you you probably got a better read on the sound thing then. So if, the, if that didn't jump out to you, that might have just been on my end. Maybe, maybe, but you might be catching something I missed. Did you notice a blue filter throughout the whole film? No, but yeah. I mean, I didn't, but now that you say that, I'm like, oh, yeah, everything is like kind of blue, bluish green a little bit. Yeah, I can't tell if that's like a signature one thing or not. Yeah, it's like kind of washed out. It's almost similar to the ring, but more yeah. towards the blue end than the green end. Right, right. Yeah. I think you can see some of Lon, Juan's... Uh, Camera work? Yeah, yeah, like his his... His stylistic flourishes taking shape, visual flourishes specifically. Like, yep. you get a lot of fast jump cuts for creepy effect. You know, like a, someone's approaching and then you jump cut to them being like a foot ahead of where they actually were. Yeah, um, right. Stuff like that and fast motion and jerky movements. And in fact, I, I wouldn't compare like the Conjuring movies to this style, um, but I feel like Saw is a bridge between the Conjuring movies and house on haunted hill from 1999 do you remember that movie from 1999 no i don't think i ever saw that one 
that movie just has such prominent like uh, varying like camera speeds, like sped up motion and like uh-huh. jump cut editing where something approaches you in this like herky jerky motion. Yeah. It's it's if you see it you'd be like, "Oh yeah, I can see I recognize this visual. Like this visual style is in so many horror movies from this period." Yeah. But to me, House on Haunted Hill from 1999 is like the prototypical example of that style. Uh, I don't okay, know okay. if it was the first to do it or most influential to do it. Yeah. But that was the first movie I remember seeing that was like that. Oh, uh, okay. Like that style of camera work? Yeah. 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 We should watch that sometime. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be interested to see that one. That's a remake, right? It is. It, it, I'm, that was our first episode, House on Haunted Hill from 1958. So I always thought right. if we ever knew we were going to end the podcast, we'd we'd close out with the 1999 version of House on Haunted Hill. But oh, good one. we aren't <laughs> seeming to stop anytime soon. So maybe we yeah. should just check that out sometime. Sure. Sure. Yeah, nice way to close it out. Uh, yeah, the, I, yeah. I mean, the, this uh, the camera work did feel like very much of its time. Uh, yeah, and it, like similar vibe. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think when that girl with the bear trap uh, on her face too, like you get a lot of that camera like spinning around. Oh, also, I guess like in all those like kind of torture uh, flashback sequences. Yeah, like, like the razor blade. Yeah, you get like a three sixty view and like yeah. sped up motion of the guy jerking his head around and panicking kind of while right. while really industrial rock plays. It's Right. Very dated. Did that, do you remember like if any of that came back in Malignant or has one like moved away from that style? Um, any move, any music that ever played in Malignant was a cover of the Pixies. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that terrible cover. <laughs> oh God. I can't believe oh, they man. kept doing that so much. <laughs> yeah. I know. That was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't remember that, that style in Malignant, but I, I'd love to watch Malignant again as much as I was just so, so on it. It's just such a strange movie. I got to see it again. Yeah. Deserves a rewatch. And I feel like after watching this, I see a lot of like similarities now. Yeah. Um, how about that ending, though, man? I mean, did it come off as silly to you, or was it still kind of... I know when I first saw it in the theater, my mind was blown. Like, Yeah. Did that I, experience still exist a little bit for you? It did. I mean, I was, like, 80% sure that's what it was. But, yeah, still, when it happens, like, it's still, I think, one of the, like, the best twists in a horror film that, like, we've seen. It's it's so good, and the reveal, like, the way he gets up and pulls off the mask, uh, I, I think it's awesome. What, what did you think? I agree. I agree. Like... I feel like it's, I don't think I've seen it directly spoofed, but I've kind of heard people like make fun of it. Um, I think it still holds up. It's, it's cool. I mean, I knew it was coming, but it's kind of a powerful moment because it really is the last thing you'd expect as a viewer because you're not really even meant to be guessing anymore. It's the orderly, right? Like you've, you've let your mind relax and stop trying to figure it out and then he stands up and it, it's cool. It's really cool. It is. Yeah. That's a really, yeah, I know. I, I can't think of like too many other endings that have like such a great twist as, as this one. I agree. I agree. I, I think there are a lot of movies too that we've discussed that we think have a great premise and then they kind of leave things on the table. It's like you had everything, but just this single idea you had, but you didn't really flesh out a movie that supported that premise yeah. And this movie does, man. Like, if you throw out the premise of, like, okay, two guys wake up locked in a room, they're chained, and they've got to figure out how to get out, there's not many cooler ways to go with it than than the route this movie took. Like, say what you will about its execution, but the story is awesome, 
and for the for whatever the script's failings are, I don't think they fail the premise. I don't think they fail the story itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, I, I think that this is like yeah, a great story. Like starts to beginning. This this is awesome. Yeah, agreed. And and feels like very unique and original. Uh, and and yeah, just uh, such a thrill ride. Speaking of unique and original, Jigsaw could probably get a patent for some of the stuff he's made, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these like mousetraps <laughs> I mean that's another giant plot hole it's like how does this guy have the resources at his disposal <laughs> to have like multiple spaces uh, to himself to like create these large laboratories and, and whole systems to like electrocute people and yeah, yeah. it's wild yeah yeah I know, I know. Any, anything uh, you dig into a little bit on this film it's like right right uh, yeah you scratch yeah. scratch just below the surface and it starts to get real questionable exactly yeah <laughs> but yeah if, if he wasn't making these traps uh, I wonder what, what, yeah he, could, he had a lot of potential there uh, even uh, though they're not well acted or well uh, spoken the dialogue isn't great between Adam and Dr. Gordon what do you think of these characters and their relationship um, it's interesting because I feel like it starts one way, uh, where like, you know, Adam's like really angry and like not like, uh, open with him at all and like, uh, you know, standoffish. And then, uh, I love like how the relationship kind of evolves. They start to kind of trust each other throughout the film. Uh, and then it's revealed that like who Adam is and, and who uh, Dr. Gordon is and stuff. And that really kind of changes that dynamic. And then at the end, I almost feel like it's the opposite, like where Dr. Gordon's the one freaking out and Adam's like telling him to calm down. So it's kind of cool to see that relationship uh, unfold, even though like some of the acting was overboard. Uh, yes. what, what did you think? I think it's just another example of like dialogue isn't great, like how we get there isn't great, but the places it takes us are good. Like. These are two pretty fleshed out characters and they have a true relationship by the end of the movie. They've got good dynamics and yeah, it, it's kind of almost a re- story arc, their relationship alone. So yeah, I, I think as awkward as some of the dialogue is written and acted, it you end up feeling like you're there with them and uh, you can understand the, the dynamics of their relationship and it actually yeah. feels reasonable and realistic to what that situation is. Yeah, yeah, you definitely get bought in and kind of grounded in it. It works. Yeah. Do you? Uh, did you feel that way about some of the other relationships, like the the the, the two detectives? Like, did you feel like? But well, yeah, part of me feels like they didn't even need to be in this film. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I liked like the diversity angle there, uh, but I I couldn't tell like uh, what those characters brought to the script or, or the movie. Yeah, I mean, they were kind of half-heartedly written characters, but I think that's okay. I think they're more like the hope, the hope that you see that the, the Adam and Dr. Gordon don't feel any hope, but you can feel it for them when you watch what's going on uh-huh. behind the scenes with these detectives. So yeah. I like that. I like when you cross-cut between somebody who might be saving someone that's about to, like... <laughs> Have something horrible happen to him? Like, yeah, uh, we talked about that in the burning. We talked about that in the Silence of the Lambs. So, yeah, I like that dynamic, even though the characters aren't that deep. And in fact, I would even go so far as to say Detective Tap is a poorly written character because later, when he's in that sleazy apartment across the street from Doctor Gordon, staking him out, he's like talking to himself and like yeah. talking to his dead partner. Like, we're yeah, gonna he, like, close this the yet, photo. See? Yeah. yeah, we're gonna close this case, and it's just like, wait, <laughs> what? Like, 
Yeah. I don't know that I was ever on board enough with his character to like follow him on this journey into like yeah. uh, total mental breakdown after what happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's not extremely far-fetched, but it's just like a, a jump, a jump a little bit, don't you think? It is, yeah. It is a jump, yeah. Uh, yeah, we got so little of those characters, and then we're supposed to follow him into that space. And just like some of those really cheesy lines, like talking to a, a photo of your dead partner. Like yeah, I mean, he's talking him to himself so, to, so much, too, that it's just like real obvious excuses to get in some exposition. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I feel like it could have been a stronger film getting rid of them, but I hear you. Like, there's a, it, it does give like the audience a sense of uh, some hope or something, which you do kind of have because he cuts the the chain finally and he, he gets out of there. So you, you think he's in the clear, but I guess throughout the film, you might start to feel kind of hopeless. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a question about this film. Did it help you? You, you feel a little bit better, more appreciative of your life? <laughs> Do I feel better about my life? <laughs> no, I feel a little worse, man. I feel like if every movie we watch, I feel like a worse person. <laughs> There's a line it's, at the end where Dr. Gordon's like, how did I get here? I had everything in order. My whole life was in perfect order. Yeah. And uh, I feel like it is, you know, that line and Jigsaw's mission like definitely reveal this to be a morality play of sorts, but... Hmm. I feel like it kind of works. I honestly feel like horror has done that for me in the past five years, is four or five years of us doing this. Like, really? I come out of the movie and I'm like, well, at least that's not me. Like, oh my God. I might have thought I had a bad day, but like, I didn't have to cut my foot off today. <laughs> isn't that isn't that like drawing the line like too low though for like a good day? Uh, <laughs> like a day where maybe you don't cut your I foot think off. that's the point. It's just like. Every day seems like a good day when you watch a horror movie. Yeah, I guess. Like, I, I, I finish my movie, I, like, go kiss my kids goodnight and, yeah. and climb into bed, and I, I I am a little bit more appreciative of my life after I watch something like this. Is that crazy? Sure. Uh, the crazy thing, and I, I, I don't know, you don't feel like, I, for some reason, I, I do feel like a little sense of guilt watching, like, so many horror films, because it's like you're partaking in uh, such, like, violence and, like, you know, disturbing uh, imagery and stuff. So sometimes I feel like that weighs on me morally, but you never you never feel like that? I almost feel the reverse, because so often I read horrible things in the news, and, like, oh, yeah. out of self-preservation, I don't let my mind go to the places that they should go to fully consider everything that's happened in that news story. Sure. And so I feel like, guilty that I'm just, like, kind of brushing it off for my own survival. Ah, uh, no, or sanity man. Or, like, yeah. mental well-being. And horror kind of allows me to really explore the depths of horrible human experience but do it in a fictional way. And, and yes. Yeah. You know, not to dishonor the things actually happening in real life, but it's almost too hard to tackle them in reality. Sure. So this is kind of a way to tackle those dark things. And then I don't know when I when I real when I read headlines now, I I do grasp the full horror of it a little bit more than I would if I wasn't watching horror movies all the time. Oh, interesting. Is that weird? Uh, no, no, no. I think that makes sense. Uh, cause maybe you can empathize with it more because we've seen so much, uh, pain and suffering. <laughs> yeah. These, I mean, you can imagine year. what the people like actually went through and it's just, right. it makes you real how ho- realize how horrible the, the crimes in the news are every day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, that, that's true. That's a, that's a good, true angle. 
It, it's funny. It, it like allows me to like not let them depress me as much, but it also allows me to like realize how serious it is. Not that I ever thought it wasn't serious, but it's just yeah. After a while, it almost becomes white noise, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's right. Sad to say. Yeah, no, I think that's natural. Like everyone has to kind of step away from it and escape, uh, which is kind of like where you want to be. You don't want to be in a place where like it arrests you. And it, I think that's what happens for a lot of us, right? Like it becomes overwhelming and you can't do anything about it. So yeah. if movies kind of help you uh, conceptualize it better and feel more like you can engage with it or do something yeah. about it, then that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I feel like you've got to be in one of two places. You either have to like not let it depress you and keep living your life or let it depress you so much that you do something about it. But yeah. if you're going to like just let it depress you and not do anything about it, that seems to be the worst of the... Right, right, exactly. Of the, yeah. Of those two options. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Damn, that got deep. That did get deep. Um, I guess... Well, <laughs> I guess Jigsaw... I, yeah, maybe he, really he did it. something there. He yeah. did it. He helped. <laughs> he made life better for everyone. He helped Detective Tap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, uh, to lighten things up, let, let's get to a rating. Uh, zero to five amputations you'll later regret. Oh, boy. Uh, so for me, uh, yeah, so many things that were terrible about, like, kind of cringeworthy about this film, but overall, it's, it's like, yeah, everything we talked about, like, it was, it was an awesome story, really original, uh, loved the suspense and the buildup and, like, the layering of the storylines. So I gave four, uh, what was it, appendages that you would cut off and later regret? Ampute- yeah, amputations you'll later regret. Uh, four amputations out of five that uh, you'll later regret. Um, Wouldn't be a, an HMC episode if I didn't give you a rating scale that was too hard to remember. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I was, yeah, I feel like more than two or three words I, I, I get lost on. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, man, it's just, it's just such a, a great film and I, I think still like one of the best endings. Uh, so yeah, four for me. What about you? I agree with you. I agree with you, but... Uh, and I, I could foresee watching it and giving it a four, but I gave it a 3.5 this time. I, I do think a lot of it is just really awkward um, dialogue. It brings it down a notch for me. And the style, just the style, visual style and editing. Like I said, I think it's well done, but it's just not my favorite way to approach a movie. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it is just kind of dated and some stuff that just reminds me of this moment in our culture that I think is kind of like objectively bad. Like (laughs) the song that plays in the credits is just this like terrible rock song. Yeah. I just, and maybe it's just the awkward age I was between the years, like, I don't know, 1998 and 2003, 2004. I just get to have a little bit of like embarrassment for culture at, at that point in time like yeah Carson Daly way, playing like half of a corn song on TRL and pretending he's like down with it with his black nail polish it's just like yeah an embarrassing the, moment in time for pop culture to me the band Hoobastank yeah uh, the Hoobastanks the Creeds the uh yeah. the Linkin Park the Limp Bizkit even though I yeah. like some of that stuff and some of it I, I still actually am like okay yeah that stuff's not bad it's yeah. just like it's this. It might just be me, like, and and my age nah. at that time. Like, I, yeah. I'm embarrassed that I was like walking into Spencer's Gifts and, and looking for <laughs> black light posters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's a combination of who we were back then, and then like, yeah, what was big back then. I, it really makes me curious because like the '90s are like officially back. I wonder like how old are going to be when like the 2000s, like the early 2000s, are going to be back. Because I feel like unanimously people can agree like. 
this was like, like, yeah, looking back that that was like the worst fashion music, uh, choices, all, all that stuff was kind of pretty dark back then. I, I think so. I think it's, if you look back from like 1950 forward, it's kind of like the worst moments in like, yeah, <laughs> fashion music movies. But yeah. But you don't think like 10 years from now, like, uh, that's going to be back by early 2000s? I don't know. I don't think that's coming back. Although, you know, I shouldn't say movies because people often say 1999 is the best year for movies in general. Like, there's great movies, but it's just, yeah. Mainstream yeah. culture was a little, little objectively bad back then. But I know yeah. we'll get some people pushing back on that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I looking know. at you, Blake Blake. <laughs> and, I, and I do feel like in 10, 15 years, like every decade it has its like resurgence and it's, it's going to happen. And I'm really curious like what people are going to gravitate towards yeah i think people are gonna skip from like 1996 to like 2008 <laughs> when they are choosing their things to relive yeah probably skip the whole george bush era or george w bush era yeah yeah makes sense all right man anything else on this movie before we wrap up uh no no it's fun to revisit cool i agree all righty everybody oh, hey oh. actually one last thing okay uh not as gory as he thought it would be right no, not as gory as I thought. I mean, the concepts are pretty gory, like cutting off your own leg, but they don't show hardly anything. Yeah, I was really surprised. I, I thought I'd have to like look away a number of times, but yeah, they barely show anything. Y- even the sawing off of the leg, like it was just like one shot, right? They show the initial contact, and I think they show some blood squirt, but they don't even show the aftermath because he's got it so tied up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pretty clean. Yeah, I mean, part of that too could just be like, well, I mean, they still had a million bucks, but... Yeah, it's definitely easier on a budget if you just show somebody with a bloody cloth wrapped around their leg limping around the room than like a yeah. gory stump. So Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, save a lot of money on prosthetics there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's definitely not an e- a movie that's easy on the eyes. Um, yeah. And they show the aftermath of some of the victims. It's a little gruesome, but yeah, not, not as bad as you would think with the, right. the reputation this franchise has. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which I, I, was, I was pleased by. But yeah, cool. no, that's all I got. All right. Well, that has been our discussion of Saw from 2004, everybody. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That helps other people find us. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us, go to horrormovieclub.com and click the social links drop-down. You're going to find links to Facebook and Twitter, and that's where we post what movie we're covering next week. You'll also find a link to Discord where you can come hang out with us on our Discord server. It's just like a chat room type app, and I'm on there all the time. We've got a great community there just talking about movies and, and bullshitting throughout the day. Uh, you can email us at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. Uh, another thing you can find at horrormovieclub.com is a link to our Patreon page. It's a big orange button. You can go there and subscribe for a dollar a month and gain access to some of our bonus content that's out there. Uh, if you Google Horror Movie Club coaster set, you'll find a coaster set with some of our favorite horror icons as well as our logo that's done by amy may popart and if you choose to enter the code movie club you'll get a 15 percent discount on that and i think that's about it so uh until next time if your kids tell you there's a man in the room uh check the fucking closet you idiot <laughs> seriously are you even a man in the room if you're not checking the closet dr boy yeah. <laughs> He's too scared to check the classroom. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure it's fine, honey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> dude. 
One time in college, a bunch of us were pretty drunk and passing out, and before we fell asleep, my girlfriend at the time said something to me like, you weren't a man three weeks ago. Oh, man. Like, out of yeah. the blue, and, and my friends never let me live that one down. <laughs> you weren't a man three weeks ago. <laughs> I, so I never had any idea what she was talking about. She talked a lot of nonsense in her sleep and when she oh. was drunk, so <laughs> I think it meant nothing, but some part of me always wanted. Yeah, yeah. What was it that you did? <laughs> I, I, maybe, maybe she thought someone was in the room and I didn't check the clock. Yeah. You just said no, there is. <laughs> <laughs>